Let's uh, get our Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms, uh, 119th Psalm, and I want to begin by drawing your attention to the, uh, the, the verse 107, where we'll, we'll start today, just kind of as a jumping off point, because uh, there's a number, probably 20, 25 verses that we could look at. We won't look at all these, but we will look at, we will look at several dealing with this uh, on the subject we have today. So Psalm 119, verse number 107. Now, over the past few weeks, we have been talking about, uh, as we've gotten into our study, I say that I think this is the eighth week we've been studying Psalm 119. And uh, as we've gotten into our study, we've, uh, we've covered, uh, besides doing the introduction and the overview of the psalm, so all of you should be experts in uh, Psalm 119 now, right? I trust. And uh, you can tell me. You know how many verses there are, you know how many divisions there are, you know why they're divided that way, and you know what's special about all the divisions. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot, I've already done that. <laughs> um, so, uh, so we've done the introduction, we've also looked at several, uh, at least three or four different major themes that are in Psalm 119, and we're going to look at the Lord willing, what will be the last major theme. And by that, of course, I mean as we study, as we read the psalm, if you sit down and you read the Psalm, uh, 176 verses of Psalm 119, you'll start to see things uh, repeat. And so that's what we've been looking at. And so today we're going to go into what is hopefully the last one, the last major theme of Psalm 119. And it's uh, it, just as an example of the 20 or 30 verses we could look at in the Psalm, uh, I'm going to read verse 107 and then we'll pray, okay? Verse number 107 says this, I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. All right, let's pray together. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for uh, the word of God that you've given to us. Lord, often we, we neglect your word so frequently. And even if we read it, sometimes we neglect uh, meditating upon it, keeping it before us. And, uh, but Lord, your word is, is, uh, is settled forever. It's established. It's permanent. We have a copy of it. We thank you for that, Lord, that we can resort to it in time of trouble. And uh, thank you for your faithfulness to us in that way. I thank you for each and every person that's here. I thank you for the class. I thank you for those that are on the way but haven't been able to get here yet. I thank you for those that are listening in. I thank you for the grace of God at work uh, in each one of our lives. And Lord, even as we study this, I guess a little bit or can be a little bit unpleasant subject, uh, Lord, thank you that you're, you are able, you are not bound to work and help and, and give your uh, instruction only through good things, but you're also well able to use evil things in our lives, things that we do not, uh, that do not please us to accomplish uh, your will in us and to teach us the lessons that we need to learn. So Lord, we just, we trust you, Lord, we're in your hand. And even as we study this morning, I pray that you would just really meet with us. Uh, give me wisdom, Lord, help me to say <clears throat> what you want me to say. 
and help your people to receive uh, what you have for them uh, to receive. So, Lord, bless our, our time today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 119, verse 107. We're going to look at the major theme of affliction. Affliction. I, to be honest, I was a little bit surprised that this is such a major theme in Psalm 119. I, you know, I thought Psalm 119 was about the Word of God. Well, it is, but you see these other, other themes kind of crisscross, and hopefully by the end of our lesson today, you'll see how they, how they relate to the Word of God. The subject of affliction is not a, is not a, uh, is not a, a rare subject an unusual subject, especially in the Psalms. So many of the Psalms deal with the way the psalmist responded to affliction in its various forms, sometimes physical, sometimes spiritual, sometimes uh, uh, coming from persecution. Uh, of course, David wrote many, many of the Psalms, and so he, he experienced a, a great deal of that, from Absalom and the issue with him, to Saul, to, uh, to various other issues in his life. So, uh, so affliction is not an unusual subject in the, in the Psalms. Um, but as I said, it did surprise me a little bit um, that it was so often in Psalm 119. What you have in Psalm 119, as we've studied, is you have, uh, in our introduction, we saw that Psalm 119 is primarily deals with an individual believer's relationship with the Lord through His Word. That's what we looked at, right? What, 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 what in our study, what, what a characteristic of Psalm 119 kind of puts emphasis on and demonstrates this individual kind of nature of, of the verses in Psalm 119? Does anybody, can anybody bring that to, bring that to memory? What, what, what characteristic in Psalm 119 reflects that it is a very individualistic kind of Book is is an individual's believer, an individual believer's relationship to God through His Word. Anybody want to take a stab at it? Going once, going twice. It's the use. Exactly, he uses the first person singular pronoun, I, me, my, almost exclusively. In fact, there's only one other instance in the Psalm that we saw that that uh, the word we is used. So, but looking at that, what is striking to me is obviously the person who wrote this psalm, people say David, maybe, the, psalmist does, the psalm doesn't say, but the person who wrote this psalm definitely had a love for the Word of God, had a relationship to God through His Word. We read about, we've read uh, uh, last week, we talked about, uh, in the past several weeks, talked about how the Word of God, He delighted in the Word of God. I want to tell you, if you take all, everyone, say everyone in America, just limit it to America. If you take everyone in America that calls themselves a Christian, you can take an infinitesimal sliver, just a very small sliver that probably can't be seen without a microscope. And that sliver would be the number of people that actually delight in God's Word. It's very, very few. If you take all professing Christians, it is a very small, you say, well, that's a really shady view of, well, just go ask them. <laughs> you know, uh, if you don't read the Bible, if you, if you don't actually read it, forget 
liking it, delighting in it. If you don't read it, if I don't read it, I don't, you know, there's no reason to believe that we delight in it, right? So, but that's not this psalm, this psalmist. This psalmist is a person who loves God's Word. We'll see, in time of affliction, he's one who turns to God's Word. In other words, it is his source of comfort in affliction. But it raises a question. You have somebody of this quality of character, somebody who is, loves God. I mean, if you say it's David, I, I don't have a problem with that. You say it's David, fine. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know who wrote Psalm 119. As I said, probably the first lesson. Since nobody knows who wrote Psalm 119, I say Ezra wrote Psalm 119, okay? Ezra either wrote it, compiled it, however it worked. That's my guess. Uh, but you can have your own opinion. But what is true is the psalmist definitely uh, loved the Lord and followed God and was a righteous man in, 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 in practice. Okay, here's why that's important. Why is a righteous man enduring so much affliction? Why is this a major thing? Why over and over do we read about his complaints of affliction, persecution, trouble, reproach? Why is a righteous man enduring? He's obviously a righteous man. He obviously loves the Lord. He obviously loves God's Word. He obviously reads it and meditates upon it. We've read that over and over and over, right? Why, is, why does he have so much affliction? Huh? Which one? Shall suffer persecution. That's true. Let's look at a few verses that, to kind of delve into that. Look at Job. We'll come back to the psalm in just a minute, but look at Job to the left, one book, chapter 5. I'm going to hit on something here that, that is very important. And it's not something I enjoy saying, <laughs> but it's something that's very important and true. Job 5. Now, in, in Job 5, we have to remember that Eliphaz is the one speaking. And whenever you're reading the book of Job, and Job, even when Job is speaking, but especially when his three friends, not counting Elihu at the end, but his three, anytime his three friends are speaking, you just have to make sure you pay extra careful attention to make sure that, they're, that what they're saying of Job, sometimes what they say of Job is not true. God said that what they said of Job wasn't true. That doesn't mean God's word isn't true. It means that the way they were applying it to Job wasn't true, right? Some, some people like get nitpicky about that, you know. But this is Eliphaz speaking, but he does, the, the three friends are quite, quite eloquent philosophers. And a lot of what they say is just true. It just wasn't always true of Job, like they thought, all right? So Job chapter 5, look at verse number 6. He says, although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. I have no idea what the sparks fly upward refers to. Well, yeah, obviously, but I, I, I don't know. I've thought about that, and I don't know the answer. I've preached through the book of Job to the Cambodian people, and I don't know the answer to that question. But here's what I do know. From verse 7, 
Man is born into trouble. So here's what I want you to get. Just as everyone else, just as every other person, the believer, the righteous man, the righteous woman, is born into a world that is troubled, right? We were not born into a world that is free from the curse of sin. We were not born into a world that's full of people that are upright. We were not born into a world that doesn't have its calamities. It is a fact of our existence as people that we live in a sin-wrecked world. And just that fact alone, without any other consideration, that fact alone, establishes this fact. That's what, this is what Eliphaz is saying. You're born into this world. This world's troubled. Therefore, you, you will be troubled. All right? Just that fact alone, without any other consideration, establishes this truth. Even the righteous will suffer affliction. Let's look at a few more. Look at the Psalms again. Verse, uh, chapter 34, or Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verse number 19. Oh, I'm still in Job. No wonder it didn't make sense. Welcome, welcome. Psalm 34, verse number 19. It says this, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I thought that if I live for the Lord and love the Lord and love His Word and obey His commandments, I thought that I would have a nice, peaceful, unafflicted life. Listen. That presumption, many people have. There's this kind of subtle, I'll call it philosophy, that's what it is. There's this subtle philosophy that floats through, and I'm going to tell you, it has been espoused, thankfully not not in our church that I'm aware of, but it has been espoused by preachers, and I'm talking about Baptist preachers that believe everything right on paper, you know, it has been a spouse as kind of semi, you know, some of you have heard of the prosperity gospel. That is, if you believe in Christ, you know, you'll be free from sickness and such. It has been a spouse in a more subtle form in churches like ours. It's just very, very subtle. It's very subtle. Now, I don't, as I said, I don't like talking about this. Like, when I, I, I personally, as an individual, I kind of, when I read this stuff, and, you know, I'm obliged to tell you what it says, because if I didn't, I wouldn't be telling you the whole truth, right? All the counsel of God. But as I read it, as I think about it, I shudder to think what affliction I might have in my life. But this verse says in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. So this subtle philosophy says, if I live for God, then God will make everything in my life go right. All right, there's several problems with that. Number one, you live in a sin-wrecked world. So if everything else goes right, you still live in a world that sorrow is all around you. 
number one. Number two, you live in a sin-cursed body. So if everything in the world was fine with you, you're still going to get old and get diseases and get sick, and eventually it's, it'll, it'll take your life, my life too, unless the Lord returns, right? That's a fact. Nothing is going to change that except the Lord come. Number three, you can't change what other people do. As much as you want to, people that set their mind to do evil, the ripples of that evil, sometimes tall waves, sometimes small ripples, will trouble you and me. You know what? We had not even talked about if you sin, <laughs> right? Here's what I'm saying. It is a fact that the righteous, those who love God, will face affliction. That is a fact of the Scripture, and it doesn't matter if you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament. It makes no difference. In fact, everything I've read is in the Old Testament so far. But let's change that. John chapter 16. I can already see I'm not going to get through my lesson today. John 16, verse number 33. Of course, you know this verse. But I just feel special when I read the blue letters. Probably your Bible has red letters. But your Bible, you probably don't have. Pastor Stewart and I, we're going to boast the Word of God. Miss uh, Amy, Amy has one too. Ours has blue letters. But it's good to read the blue letters here, the red letters. It says this, if your Bible has that. Verse 33, the Lord speaking, he says, These things I have spoken unto you that ye might have, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Once again, it establishes the Lord is speaking to the disciples. He tells them they would have tribulation. You know what? That comes in the form of persecution sometimes. That comes in the form of Physical sickness, Paul had plenty of that. That comes in the form of uh, what other people do to you. And listen, all of these things, many are the afflictions of the righteous. I'm not trying to tell you that your life is going to be just, you know, just give it up. It's, it's, it's over. No, 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 no. That's why the Lord says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In other words, the Lord wants us to lift our eyes up beyond just this world and see much more than that, Right? But look at 1 Peter chapter 4 as we go toward the end of the Bible. Verse number 12. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. There you go. It establishes the fact that those who are faithful to God will not be free of affliction. I would even dare say those that are faithful to God will not have less affliction than everyone else, except in this one point. Except in the realm of the affliction that comes from sin. That, thankfully... We have some power to avoid, right? We have some power to avoid. Listen, if you are faithful to your wife and you're faithful to your husband, 
your marriage is just going to be better than if you're not. Fact. If you love your children and raise them right, according to the precepts, principles, admonitions of God's Word, it's going to turn out better, and they're going to make you happier. Those things we have a measure of control over, but general affliction, we have very little control over that. It's just life. So, forever, forever, may we forever dismiss of this idea that if we live for God faithfully, that God's going to make sure that nothing bad happens to our lives. That's the Joel Osteen mentality, and it is absolutely false. Totally false. Now, if you would, look at back in Psalm 119 at verse 51. I want to read three verses from the psalm. Psalm 119. Look at verse 51, 61, and 153. 51, 61, and 153. And then we'll look at one verse in Mark. All right. Verse 51 says this. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. You see, this is affliction. The proud were mocking him, ridiculing him, right? Yet have I not declined from thy law. Look at verse number 61. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. See that? Did he have any control over the robbers? No. But I thought he was righteous. Surely God would would put a, a band of angels around him to protect him. Listen, I know that's happened in the Bible. You know, you think of Elijah. You think of uh, the different events like that in the Scripture. But you, you also have verses like this, and you have to take them all together. Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 119, verse number 153. 153. The psalmist says, Consider mine affliction and deliver me. For I do not forget thy law. So in these three verses, you know what you have? You have three different kinds of of affliction that have come upon the psalmist. And in different ways, the psalmist says essentially the same thing. He says, even though these afflictions have come upon me, I have not forgotten thy law. I have not departed from thy statutes. Now, here's the reality of this. And this is the principle. Affliction did not cause him to forsake God's law. Now, here's why that's important. It is a fact that many people depart from the Lord when they are faced with affliction and trouble. It's true. When people are faced with affliction and trouble, it is often at that moment that they depart from God. Something painful, some trauma, some harm, some insult or injury done to them, they depart from the Lord at that moment. Just as, a, as an example, and I know this, isn't, this is a parable, but, but I think it serves to illustrate the point. In Mark chapter 4, 
verse number, if you want to turn there, I'll, I'll wait on you. Verse number uh, 17, this is the parable of the sower. And it's interesting, it's a, the wording's a little bit different than in Matthew. And verse 15 of Mark 4 says this, and these that, uh, these that, these are they by, by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Verse 16. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. They're gone. See? This person was listening to God's Word. They were, they were engaged. They were in tune. And then some affliction, some, some trouble, maybe persecution, maybe a health problem, maybe family, whatever. Whatever the case, that affliction, hear me, hear me now, disillusioned them. What do I mean by that? The word disillusion. You know, I'm a, nerd, I'm a word nerd. The word disillusion. You know what it means? It means to take away the illusions. All right, so here's the illusion. The illusion is, if I love God and live for God, bad things aren't going to happen to me. I'm not going to really have that much affliction. If it is affliction, it'll just be a little bit, and it'll be, it'll be, it'll be kind of light and superficial, and I'll be able to deal with it. And then something bad happens, something that we all don't like, none of us like, we dread oftentimes. And that illusion is totally taken away. Disillusionment, defined as this, a feeling of disappointment resulting from the discovery that something is not as good as one believed it to be. See, that's what happens. We have this philosophy. We take this philosophy. We, we won't say it. In fact, sometimes we, we just denounce it. We say, we don't believe it. And then when something bad happens, we're like, that's not supposed to happen. We get disillusioned. But here's what I want you to, this is the encouragement I want you to get. The psalmist says in 51, 61, 153, he says this, But I have not forgotten thy law. I was afflicted. They persecuted me. They harmed me. But I have not departed from thy statutes. You see that? This is, listen, this is why it's so important for us to be grounded in the doctrines of the Bible what the Bible teaches. Because you know what? That is what builds the foundation that informs your reaction to these things when they happen. If you, if you have a foundation, my phone's going off. I want to make sure everything's all right. Okay. If, you, if you're informed by this, this false idea that if you're a faithful Christian, then God's going to protect you from everything, all the afflictions that happen, you have built a foundation that's not biblical. And so when those things happen, listen, God's not going to make an exception for you because you think that or I think that. <laughs> so when you, when you and I face that with this foundation, well, we get disillusioned. And that is the cause for a lot of people departing from the Lord. Listen, in Cambodia, this was a major problem. Because in Cambodia, you, know, you think about the prosperity gospel, you think about this idea of... Uh, uh, you know, just general prosperity as a, as a matter of the Christian faith, you know, as people kind of describe it like that. You know, that was, it was elevated in Cambodia. And 
it, I mean, it was frequent that people, once they realized that it wasn't like they expected, they were, they were gone. The FBI couldn't find them. So to summarize what we've covered so far, the life of the righteous is a life that will come upon affliction from time to time. It is the fact of affliction. Number two, affliction did not cause the righteous, should not cause the righteous to forsake God's law because we know that affliction, as the sparks fly upward, whatever that means, so... It's a fire. We're, we're watching a fire, I guess, yes. I guess maybe you could say it's a natural byproduct of a fire. Is that, is that what you think it is? Okay. We'll say, well, that'll be our working meaning for the, for the moment. Now, I want to read you a few things, a couple things that go together, all right? And then we'll look at the psalm. Contrary to everything I've been saying, the afflictions of the righteous are a sure sign of the grace of God in our life. I'll say it one uh, different way. The afflictions of the righteous are sanctified. What does that mean? It means the afflictions that the righteous that come in the right the lives of the righteous. And by righteous, I don't mean people necessarily that are living right. This is talking about believers, okay? Those afflictions are made holy and consecrated. They're made spiritually profitable by God for us. It's an amazing fact. And I always think of Joseph. Joseph took that which was, uh, Joseph said, God took that which was evil and turned it into good. And of course, affliction is something that we view as, as evil. None of us want it. We avoid it with all our might. We try to, but the Lord uses it because of His grace. He uses it in our life, and it's a sure sign of His grace. Now, affliction for the believer, and we're going to look at the verses to see it. Affliction to the believer is either corrective or instructive, right? Or both, but just divide it in two. Affliction for the believer is either corrective or instructive. By corrective, I mean the Lord brings affliction in a believer's life. Now, I'm making a clear distinction between believer and unbeliever at this point, and you'll see why in a minute. It is corrective in the case of the believer straying from the Lord, right? So the Lord will bring affliction in our lives when we stray from Him, that doesn't mean he's going he's gonna to bring some terrible thing into our life, but the Lord knows how to do it in degrees, right? When we stray, He knows how to bring us back. And He brings that affliction into our lives to correct us. And then sometimes He brings affliction in our lives not because we have sinned, but because He has a lesson He wants us to learn that we learn by means of affliction. Again, I wish there was a different way to learn them. Some lessons are only learned that way. Listen to this. Spurgeon said this. Talking about the difference between the believer and unbeliever. Here's what he says. When there's no spiritual life, affliction works no spiritual benefits. Now, I would argue with him a little bit because Psalm 107 indicates that 
affliction to an unbeliever can kind of turn them to the Lord too. But moving on. But when there, it, when, uh, but where the heart is sound, trouble awakens conscience. Wandering is confessed. The soul becomes, uh, becomes again obedient to the command and continues to be so. Whipping will not turn a rebel into a child, but to the true child, a touch of the rod is a sure corrective. Here's what I say. That affliction that comes into our lives as a, as a corrective measure is the grace of God in our life. Now, we might look at the affliction itself as evil, but if affliction corrects us from what we were doing that displeases God and is self-destructive, then that affliction is good. Does that make sense? Now, here's the thing about affliction when we start talking about time. Oftentimes, these lessons that we learn from affliction, we don't learn them in the moment. We learn them after the fact. In the moment, we're confused, we're confounded, we're exasperated, we, we, we feel that affliction. I mean, if, if we didn't feel it, it wouldn't be affliction, right? We feel that affliction, it weighs heavy upon us. And it's not till after the fact, when the Lord just, just moves the clouds of obscurity away, that we start to see, okay, this is what He intended for me to learn. It was painful. And many, many believers, many Christians, come through waves of affliction and look back and say something similar to this. It was painful. I would never want to go through that again. But I'm glad I did. I'm glad the Lord brought it into my life. I, there are things in my life that I could say that about. But it's kind of this paradox. But consider the wicked. The wicked have no such grace like that in their lives, generally speaking. There are some exceptions, of course. Affliction comes upon the wicked. Sometimes the affliction that comes upon them is punitive. What do I mean by that? I mean it's just for punishment. It is a direct result of the sin that they have given themselves to. And you know what? That, that affliction is not designed to correct. It is the natural result of their, in God's spiritual economy, of their decline and eventual destruction. I, I mean, that's frightening. I mean, I mean, I'm thinking of people right now, right? That grace of God. So you, so the wicked man, the unrighteous man, the man who doesn't know God, the unbeliever, endures affliction. And the believer endures affliction. To one, it's punitive. To the other, it's a mark of the grace of God. How can that be? But it is. When we stray, one author said this, I thought it was interesting. When we stray from God, talking about affliction, it says, he says, but God resolves to recover him. It was just that one, little, that one little clause there. When we stray from God, he says, God resolves to recover us. In other words, he sets his mind that he is going to bring whatever he must bring into our lives to recover us from straying. That act is an act of the grace of God. 
so that we can say truly that the afflictions of the righteous are sanctified. Now, we all know Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. We know there are caveats and there are requirements for that to be true and that, that kind of thing. But again, going back to this philosophy that has crept into our minds and hearts, that if we live for God, then these kinds of afflictions aren't going to happen to us. We must remember that the afflictions, every affliction, every affliction that comes upon a believer is sanctified by God to do him good. Every one. So what that means is there are no chance things that happen. You think, well, what, what about this person that did this to me? They weren't obeying the Lord. How, how could God? Listen, God can take the sin that people do and use it for good. Is that not what happened with Joseph? So it's not like, it's not like well, that person sinned against me and, and so therefore it's out of my, it, it was out of God's control. No, it wasn't. Affliction to the believer is sanctified. Now, I just, I feel like I need to read this, these, this verse here to, uh, to close. Look back at Psalm 119. At verse number 67, 71, and 75. We'll pick up here next time. 67 says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Notice the past tense. Notice the past tense. In other words, he's past it. He's looking back in retrospect that I might learn thy statutes. Verse 75. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. The afflictions of the righteous are sanctified. They are within, totally within God's control. They are by His appointment. They are designed by Him for good for us. And they work that. They work good in us. So hopefully we can reorient maybe if we have we're a little bit off on the way we view these things, the way I view these things, we can get our heart and mind where it should be and help us understand the truth so that we can we can receive these kinds of afflictions that come in our life from the perspective of Romans 8.28. When someone's going through an affliction, do not go up to them and quote Romans 8.28. But right now, most of you probably are not in a real severe affliction. Now is the time that you need to be looking at Romans 8.28 and getting its truth way down deep into your heart. Now is the time. Because when that affliction comes, you're going to need that, and I'm going to need that. Let's pray together.